All right, everybody, welcome back to another awesome episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, where we speak to founders, CEOs, and the smartest people building up the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto industry. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, P-Tokens and P-Network. Uh, and if you've been listening to Crypto 101 for any amount of time, you've heard us call 2020 the year of interoperability. Over and over again, we're talking about this concept, and that's because the smartest teams in crypto are all focused on bridging the divide between the many different cryptocurrencies. So, imagine in the future, you won't have to worry about managing a million different addresses for your Bitcoin and your Ethereum and Litecoin and Tezos and EOS and all that stuff, right? Rather, you'll be able to send any crypto to any address at any time time. Well, that future is here and it's made possible by P Networks P Tokens. And the ticker symbol for that is PNT. So beyond that, P Tokens are able to be staked with a 42% annual yield. Wow. So that means if you stake a thousand tokens, by the end of the year, you would have earned an additional 420 tokens. I mean, that is serious business and it's a great way to be earning passive income. So if you want to learn more about the P Network, the leading protocol enabling interoperability, or how you can earn 42% annual yield on your P tokens, click the link in our show notes or go to www.p.network. Again, that's www.p, as in the letter P, dot network. Before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101Insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, it took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, we give you tips on you know, how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, Bryce and Pizza Mind coming at you again with another episode of Crypto 101 Podcast. And today, uh, we're going to have a pretty interesting discussion. I, I think they're all pretty interesting, but this one is going to focus a lot on uh, Japan. It's going to focus a lot on exchanges and some of the challenges there are with that and, and what's it like to build 
well, one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. So Pete's, uh, before we get into that, brother, give me some updates on your life. What's going on in your corner of San Diego? <laughs> well, in San Diego, everything's pretty good over here. Um, it's probably the best place on the West Coast right now to deal with all the smoke and fires. Not too shabby. So even when the world's burning, San Diego's still staying sunny. Yeah, it, it, I agree. You know, uh, I'm, I'm over on the other corner of San Diego, on the opposite corner from you, but uh, I would say the experience is pretty similar. Uh, but today we're joined by the, C, uh, the COO of Bitflyer. Um, awesome, huge exchange, Joel Edgerton. You're up in San Francisco, right? Is that yep. currently? Okay. Yep. How is it up Are there? I heard it's like uh, red October. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, it doesn't look like mortared outside anymore, but uh, today's actually pretty good. It's not smoky anymore, but the last few days, uh, pretty well sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw a bunch of friends posting some some pretty crazy pictures. So uh, definitely our thoughts are going up to you guys. But let's dive into uh, some capital market stuff. Uh, you, you know, when we first met you, you were telling me a little bit about your background and you've basically touched every kind of vertical within finance, you've been in insurance, you've been in custodianship and brokeraging. Tell us a little bit about, you know, each of these things, each of these aspects and like how you kind of found yourself in crypto, um, like what your learning, key learnings from your entire background were. Sure, sure. You're making me sound really old though. <laughs> um, no, so experienced, experienced. I think that's wise. important. I think it's, I think it's always like, you know, super important to set that tone, like qualify yourself. Like, you know, people are listening, there's a million podcasts outside. So we want to get to know you before we might, we might tune out. Right. So uh, actually I have done, I worked on the IT side and on the finance side. So I actually started at IBM, um, did a lot of work at IBM and then got a master's in finance. I've worked in Tokyo. I've worked in London. I've done capital markets. Um, I've done custodian and trust work with State Street. I've worked with Citigroup on asset management side. I've worked with BNP Paribas, which is one of the largest European banks uh, and capital markets and in insurance. Um, so a lot of different things and all of them I have to use in crypto. <laughs> right. I have to use in crypto. So crypto is the, the, the future. It's gonna replace a lot of stuff that's in traditional uh, finance. Um, a lot of waste in traditional finance, blockchain addresses a lot of those issues. So I think uh, it's very exciting stuff. Um, and it's good to kind of have that traditional finance background um, because there's not a lot of infrastructure, there's not a lot of experience, uh, processes in crypto are not so great. So being able to take what's considered normal uh, and bring it over and, and help our customers and reduce risks and, and make crypto easier for newbies to get in, I think is important. So a guy with your background could literally work for anyone in the world, but you chose Bitflyer and you chose crypto. Mm -hmm. What was it about this industry and that company that said, this is the place I want to be? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so like I said, I worked in Tokyo. Uh, my wife is Japanese. I've lived in Japan for about 12 years, off and on. Um, so I knew Bitflyer already. Um, and Bitflyer is huge in Japan. It's the number one uh, cryptocurrency company in Japan. 
they've already got links into you know electronics companies you can go and buy uh, electronics with bitcoin because they already have links they have links into the largest uh, bookseller in japan and th their loyalty program so it's pretty well integrated uh, into japan and japan itself um, the government has taken a lot of efforts to, to bring order to the chaos that is crypto um, so they have uh, one way of looking at crypto, one way uh, uh, of regulating crypto, unlike in the US where it's still 50 different states and how they handle things, which is a bit chaotic. So I was interested in uh, Bitflyer one because they're a well-established brand uh, two because I'm interested in Japan and speaking to Japanese. Um, but three, I've been following crypto for a long time and it's just really exciting and fun stuff. And to be, you know, in, I think this is still very, very early days for crypto and to be able to help build that is just fun. Tell me a little bit about, you know, just broadly speaking, before we kind of dive into the specifics about, you know, running a crypto exchange, but just, you know, working with uh, people from Japan, is the work culture similar? Is it different? Um, and what are some of those? Yeah, there are definitely differences. Um, definitely differences. I think you'll find, uh, Japan tends to be quite risk averse, right? So the things that you may see with unregulated exchanges, particularly a lot of the, the Chinese exchanges, the Japanese are not willing to take those risks. The, you know, in, the, in English, we have the expression, the, the customer is king. In Japan, the expression is the customer is God, right? And you don't want to piss off God. Yeah, right? I like that. That's the way it is. So they will really carefully think about what's going to be the impact on this on a customer. There may be money to be made, but if it puts the relationship with the customer at risk, they won't do it. All right. And I think that's important. I think if we really want to build a long lasting structure of crypto, if we really want to, you know, take over the traditional finance and get the efficiencies and the, the you know, the real savings and the time savings, we have to, you know, think about the customer and we have to think about, you know, not just the innovation side, but you know, solving real problems. Absolutely. And speaking of innovations, um, just to kind of jump in, you know, before we were talking, you said there's a lot of developments that you guys have uh, on the roadmap here for for Bitflyer within the next couple of years. I'd love for you to walk us through kind of what that roadmap looks like. Maybe the top three, uh, and then some of the challenges that are that are unique to each of those. Right. I think. Um, the first thing we have to do is we have to um, build a better customer experience, right? In general, we, you know, there's a lot of complaints about banks and their customer experience, but I think in cases it still can be better than what's in crypto. Um, you know, in banking, you can get access to your money immediately. In crypto, usually you're not going to get immediate access to your money. So how can we make these things easier for our customers to, you know, um, get into the crypto world and be comfortable with the crypto world. Um, another area that we're looking at is interest rates and yield, right? A very simple thing uh, in common banking, but difficult in crypto. So you have, you know, staking that's originally there. And now you've got some of the experiments in DeFi going on with, you know, uh, Uniswap and SushiSwap and all the other food swaps that are out there. Um, but it's quite interesting, the stuff that they're doing, but the ideas that they're taking are, you know, traditional finance ideas, and they're just codifying them with Ethereum and smart contracts. And that makes it, you know, quite interesting because it's not a world based on trust, 
which is what, what banking is based on. It's a world based on code. Uh, and you just trust the code and the transparency of the code. So how do we bring that to customers in a safe way is one of the major issues that we've got um, because code wow. can act. Could, could, uh, could we dive into that just uh, as we're there? Um, Pete, I mean, you've been doing a really, really big deep dive in DeFi recently. And Joel, you know, do you think that what DeFi is doing, you know, it, it has merit? Maybe it's a, it's a little too early or they're going at it from too much of an aggressive angle? And, um, or do you think CeFi, right? That whole new, the mean C5, uh, just centralized finance. Um, are, are you guys trying to keep that decentralized and non-custodial ethos with any of the lending stuff that you guys are working on? Or are you t- keeping that kind of centralized model? Right now, we're mainly looking at the centralized model. Like I said, we, we tend to be quite risk averse. And, you know, the DeFi lending world, I mean, it's hard to call it lending. It's really more interest proto- interest rate protocols than lending protocols. But um, it, it's interesting stuff. But, you know, there's way too much risk in it at, at this point. I mean, there's stuff where, you know, they're taking Frankenstein code from one project, another Frankenstein code for another project, <laughs> yeah. all together, and it's adding great value, but it's, it's very Darwinian. Um, there are stuff that's going to come up overnight. It'll add lots of value, it'll explode, and then it'll explode um, and, and just disappear. And that's not the environment that we want our customers to be in. So I think our overall strategy is to be kind of a fast follower here. Um, so, you know, allow that experimentation, allow that innovation, see what stands kind of the test of time, what's really going to add value to our customers, and then take that and then implement and scale it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's definitely a dangerous world out there. And a lot of these DeFi devs, I've uh, never had to work in customer service or worry about the business end of things. They don't right. treat their customers like God. They treat them like dirt yeah. and dump their bags on them so uh, they can make, you know, $10 million for one week of uh, copying and pasting code. Yeah. So we'll de- But I definitely think there is a future despite uh, the dark beginnings, you know, yeah, you know, the light has to come out of the dark. So I, I think there is going to be something with this uh, yield farming that could potentially be a staple of finance, just like holding or trading or derivatives. Um, It's essentially uh, just a different type of arbitrage. Well, it's too hard to do arbitrage in spot trading, but um, this, at least in this early days, could be very interesting. Tell us, uh, what are some of the, like, if you could really do anything, you know, ignore the risk, ignore the regulations, you know, we, we, of course, you won't do that for real, but in, in a dream world, what's one feature that you could put on BitFlyer that you just personally think would be super cool? Wow. That's the first time somebody's asked me that question. Um, That's why they pay Pete's the big bucks. Wow. I get paid in food. Uh, I'll send you a pizza later on. That'd be cool. Um, I think what... I really like to be able to see is um, for there to be kind of this cross-platform integration between the different projects and traditional finance, right? Um, I think the merging of these worlds will happen, right? And, and right now, crypto is still very separate world, but it's when the, the technological advances of crypto 
come into the experience and the processes of traditional finance where we're really going to have some amazing stuff. And I think the, the real advantage of crypto is, and the ethos of crypto is kind of that separation of state and money, right? There's a lot of discussions about that. And you see, you know, trillions of dollars being printed. You know, you have to think, okay, there's going to be inflation. And, you know, if you're an older person and you've got a fixed income, that inflation is just really going to hurt you, right? The prices are going to go up and your life is really going to deteriorate as far as your purchasing power. And you have no control over that, right? That's somebody else that's controlling that. By having that type of innovation where you can control your own finances, you can make your own investments, right? I think is very powerful. So the, what I'd really like to see is to have that interoperability between what we have in the crypto world and what we have in traditional finance and eliminate a lot of this, this artificial walls that traditional finance is putting up because they simply don't understand it. I think that's a beautiful beautiful dream to have. And unfortunately, I feel like we couldn't be further away from that. Uh, on this day, there was a news article about many boobs in the European finance ministry offices from Germany to France, talking about banning stable coins and saying the European Central Bank should be the only bank that should be allowed to distribute a currency. But if this is a capitalist economy and a free market, and if the only way they can win is to make it illegal to have any competition, I don't think this is going to last very long. So let me follow up. Will there still be traditional finance at all? And for how much longer? Uh, traditional finance has been around for thousands of years. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away. I, I think it, it will adjust, right? When there's money to be made, finance will, will, will do it. So, you know, right now there, there's the automatic reaction to, you know, it's going to cannibalize my existing business. I'm going to lose what I currently have. And there will be that reaction. But there are already tons of hedge funds and tons of institutional investors already in the crypto world. Right. Those guys are the risk takers. They're, they're the first adopters. They're already there. Right. And now you've got banks starting to become comfortable with it. You've got um, the OCC, the head of the OCC now basically saying banks can custody and crypto in the US, right? It's already happened, but you know, it's not gonna move that fast. I think we're talking decades, right? For it to really get in place, but it's already happened and I don't think it can be stopped. And I think the idea that, you know, bank, uh, the governments are gonna try to regulate this space and eliminate it, it cannot happen. They will regulate the space um, and they will have reasons to because there's risk in there. Right. But um, I don't think they can eliminate it. The, the threat to the power that they have is real. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Um, and the genie's already out. Yeah, it's funny. I was uh, reading an article today from Coindesk, and they said that there's going to be some new regulatory framework for kind of unifying these 48 states, uh, the 48 continental United States here, about how they're going to regulate money service businesses uh, in regards to handling crypto. Is I, I know this is all very new, and I didn't give you a heads up, but do you know anything about what's going on there? Yeah, actually, I read that article. Okay. Um, so what the... Uh, let me kind of explain how it really happens today and then why this actually is a, a benefit. So we oh, are regulated in, in each state individually and each state can send an auditor into our office and ask whatever questions they want, right? Based on the license that we have. So we have, you know, you know say Arkansas coming in, Alabama coming in, North Carolina coming in, Texas coming in. Um, and we have to prepare to answer all of their questions, right? So imagine just doing that for like 50 states, right? It, it's, it's quite a, a draw on your resources. It's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, and the documents are, are massive. I mean, you're, you're talking thousands of pages of documents that could possibly be looked at. Um, and, but they're only one to look at their particular state customers, right? So then you have to segment everything out and it, it can be quite painful. So this new agreement is basically just saying, okay, instead of having all 50 states come in whenever they want, the states are going to coordinate with each other. They'll pick kind of a few regulators that are kind of responsible for this institution, and they will come in together as a group, and then they'll share the information and their findings with the rest of the states, right? So, so, so that's one of these things that is almost like um, probably going to increase and quicken the pace here of innovation because you guys are going to have your resources freed up. To, to not have to answer every beck and call of every state regulator. Rather, it has to be, you know, put the onus on the states, right? Put the onus on the states to have them coordinate whatever they want to do and then come at you guys with one request. I think that's a pretty, uh, you know, nice capitalistic approach that that the government has yeah, taken. What, I mean, the states agree? have done these things before. I mean, if you look at the, the Uniform Commercial Code, right, the, that's when the states have coordinated between themselves to kind of set the rules for, for commerce across states, Um where the federal government didn't step in. So, I mean, it's a, it's a step forward, but what we really need is one set of rules. So the states still have different sets of rules, right? Um, All they're doing is coordinating the audit. The rules are still different by state. And if a state wants to come in and do an individual audit, they still can, right? So we need one set of rules. And that's one of the advantages we have in Japan is there is one set of rules, right? We know what we need to do to build our business. Um, while in the U.S. we have to go and talk to 50 different regulators to run something. And if we run out of product, maybe, you know, we can only offer it in 40 states and 10 states. We can't do it. You know, it, you constantly have to kind of turn on and off products by state, which is really painful. That is wow. extremely painful. So that brings me to another part of that whole topic, and that's listing tokens on your exchange. What is the process for choosing a new token to get listed? 
I mean, do you have to check what the rules are in all 48 states or is it simply just good enough to pass the Howey test? To be honest, it's not clear. It's not clear how, how that's done. Um, what we tend to do is focus on New York. So New York has been one of the most strict as far as listing coins. So if we can get it through New York, we're fairly comfortable with the rest of the states. Um, but we also have to get it through the Japanese government as well, because we want to kind of have economies of scale on these things. And the Japanese government is also quite conservative. Um, so one of the main things we're looking at is we want something that is not going to be a flash in the pan. You know, it's only been available for three weeks or whatever. We want real coins that are linked to real projects that are solving real problems. Right. So we don't list a bunch of coins like in Japan. I think maybe we've got 10 and the U.S. We have maybe five. Wow. We don't list a lot of coins at all. Um, we will be listing more coins, but we prefer projects that actually add value. It's not just about providing another trading asset so we can make money off of it. We want to support real projects that have real liquidity that are value to our customers. Yeah, and really build out a, def a defensible business model as kind of the space develops. You know, you guys take the long-term approach, uh, whereas a lot of the exchanges do, do quite the opposite. Yeah, Binance gets skewered all the time for not looking out for their customers and just listing anything. But it's great that you guys have taken the opposite approach and really vet things before you list them. So once they're listed, how do you get liquidity on the platform so there's a healthy market to trade on day one? Yeah, we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> um, I mean, I think one of the things is um, we do look at uh, daily trading volumes before we list. Um, so the coins we list tend to already have volume behind them before we put them out there. There's also kind of different customer sets. So if you're listing a coin for institutional investors, then we'll go talk to market makers to kind of build out the liquidity in the beginning. Um, until it has a natural liquidity itself. On the retail side, it's a little bit different. Um, so we're basically just sourcing from uh, whatever liquidity source we're gonna have to provide the coin to the customer. So it's a little bit different when you talk about retail customers versus institutional exchanges. The exchange, definitely, we, we need to talk to market makers. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I'm interested in this automatic market maker experiment that's going on in DeFi if there's ways to kind of take that and apply it to a centralized exchange environment where maybe it can't be manipulated and it doesn't have the weakness of the oracles, then, you know, that would be something that'd be really nice. And I think that can also be applied into traditional finance as well. Um, but right now we're mainly just using traditional market makers. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. I would love to kind of hear a little bit more, thoughts surrounding that like maybe that was like a true real innovation um that DeFi did come out with was these amm protocols uh where everybody could kind of pool liquidity together but could you could you kind of break that down because i'm sure a lot of people are listening they they'd love like a 101 on what even the amm stuff is and then yeah it's cool to think like i never even thought that a centralized exchange would kind of reskin that and put it in but you're right it, it would be a really cool new way to do things yeah, I want to consider myself an expert on the AMM stuff, but um, essentially it's a swap. Um, so basically people are incentivized to provide liquidity into a pool and that pool has a ratio that's kind of built in that swaps between the assets. So 
what that does is it provides speed um, and it provides certainty. Um, so because people are incentivized to provide the liquidity, you can scale liquidity faster. Um, and because it's a, a formula, uh, you have speed. And in the DeFi world, you know, it's very difficult to attract liquidity. Um, and, and it's difficult to guarantee that liquidity is going to be there when you want to do it. But by program, programmatically building that, um, it's solving one of the problems on the, on the DeFi world. And, and I think that's something that will be quite interesting um, in the centralized world. Um, but the other part of that is uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have a program where people know exactly how it's going to trade, which means it could be manipulated. Um, so we kind of have to watch that space a little bit more. That's a great answer. Uh, one of my favorite things about Bitflyer is the advanced order types that you guys offer. Uh, I don't, I've literally never seen them anywhere else in crypto. Uh, it's really even hard to find something that gives you the option for trailing stop. But you guys go way beyond that. Can you talk a little bit about some of the unique order types that you guys offer and how they work? Yeah. So um, basically, the, the founder of uh, Bitflyer, Yuzo Kano, um, came from Goldman Sachs. And he partnered with um, our chief uh, technical officer, Komiyama-san, uh, who also came from Goldman Sachs. So from for their perspective, you know, this institutional world was normal. So when they built out the original exchanges, they built that logic um, for regular investors. Uh, and you have to think about in Japan, right? Um, the day trading ethos is very strong in Japan. I think day trading is bigger in Japan than it is in the US. The Ichimoku cloud. Yeah, I mean, like Mrs. Watanabe, I mean, it's, it's huge in Japan, the day trading. Um, and they've done a lot on the FX side. So there's a little bit, I think, uh, higher expectation as far as what services you need to offer to be uh, successful in Japan. So they've built beyond just your normal limit orders, um, uh, lots of logic where you can kind of have triggers. So if this happens, then trigger another set of logic, which then can trigger another set of logic. So you can have a lot of different scenarios kind of gamed out so that the it will automatically start trading and you don't miss the opportunity. Yeah, I was playing around with it uh, yesterday and it's almost like you can have like a visual interface for writing your own smart contract mm -hmm. of where you set one condition and then it fills mm -hmm. and then it branches off into two other conditions after that. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing where you can map an entire trade from open to close all in one execution. And I love that. It's really, really bright. Yeah, it really helps when you're sleeping and then uh, the Asian markets go crazy. I might actually get a chance to sleep now. I'm <laughs> so often up trading at 4 a.m. because that's when all the volatility is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other exchanges that I've been using before don't give me that option. I have to actually be there to pay attention. But I think if I just switch over to Bitflyer, I might be able to live a more healthy lifestyle. Hey, we'll, we'll look after you, man. We'll look after you. Awesome. Um, one of the questions that I had was just like, it, like generally speaking, uh, what are some of the news announcements that have come out, call it within the last three months, that have you particularly bullish like in the near term here? Uh, the w one that comes to mind for me is the MicroStrategy announcement. They just announced they doubled down. Uh, on their treasury. So now they it's like one of the first publicly traded uh, companies that holds half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. 
Um, what do you think's going on there? And is there anything else uh, like kind of similar that you're seeing unfold in, in the capital markets? Um, I think the MicroStrategy one was quite big. Um, to have kind of a, a, a listed company say that um, crypto should be part of their normal asset class is, is a big deal, right? Um, I think another big one was JP Morgan announcing that they are willing to onboard crypto companies. Um, I saw that one. That one's going to be big that too. That was also uh, a quite big one because, you know, right now with crypto companies, um, it's difficult to build out a lot of the banking relationships. And particularly when you're a global organization like us, where you have crypto moving at one speed and then your cash moving at a different speed because it's got to go through international wires, it's a pain. Um, so to be able to have kind of uh, an international global bank where you can kind of do internal money transfers between your different entities in different countries, it's quite helpful in doing cash optimization. That's amazing. Can you give us retail guys some advice from a veteran in the capital markets game? You know, what are some things that we need to really look out for uh, to protect ourselves? When, when I look at crypto, right, one of the first questions I asked um, was, okay, I can see technical trading, but where's fundamental trading, right? Where is investing based on the value of the, the coin itself? Um, and that has not really been built out and is not really clear. Um, I think you're beginning to see that where people are building trading strategies on kind of milestones of a project where, you know, they put out their test net, they put out their production net. Um, where they're beginning to, to deliver real value. And if you think of the coin as almost like a stock price and it's valuing the project underneath it, it's an interesting way to think about it. So um, for me, that's a, a, a way to think about um, investing in crypto where you're not having to go in and look at a bunch of charts, and, which is really psychological investing. Um, maybe you can do it with momentum investing. Uh, that's another way. You can also just keep with the old uh, standard of you know, dollar cost averaging. But I, I like the idea of kind of linking it to milestones and delivering value on, on the actual project itself. Um, because at the end of the day, right, just like a company has to build products to, to survive, um, to have a value, these projects also need to build value and solve real problems or else they won't survive. It's much more Darwinian than stock markets. So it doesn't have all the vetting and it doesn't have the long life. But I think it's an interesting, interesting way to think about the investing in crypto. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, uh, our buddy uh, Josh Frank over at the Tie, he just started a podcast and he's bringing on a bunch of guests, asking them all the same question: How can we fundamentally value crypto? So maybe somewhere along the way, we can compile an answer that everyone can agree with and go from there. Yeah, I think we still have a little bit of ways to go on that one, but at least it, the conversation. A few hundred happens. episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he's got a good got a good area to mine there. There's yeah, there's there's tons of stuff that he hopefully uncovers here in the near term. Yeah, man, this has been a super fascinating conversation, and we you know we want to bring you guys back on as the as all the developments come uh, with Bitflyer, and I'm sure you know you guys are going to open up the floodgates here, hopefully to to some other projects, and we're really excited. But I kind of have a couple questions just to get a little bit more color into who you are and stuff. Uh, it's something we ask everybody that comes on the podcast, but I'm curious, like what other company besides Bitflyer and besides like any 
like actually like token issuing project, but like what other company in the space are you really keeping an eye on? Maybe you have some friends over there that are just like, wow, that, they're doing some really impressive stuff. And what is it that they're doing? Mm, to be honest, I kind of like to watch the FinTech companies um, like Revolut and those guys. Uh, Got it. Robinhood, I'm not too thrilled with. I don't like the way they, they do things, but um, I, I think the FinTech guys are the closest um, to crossing over between traditional and crypto. So you have the kind of the pure play crypto companies, the traditional guys, the FinTech guys have seen the money in crypto and they're starting to build out um, some of the rails. And they've got a much better handle on customer experience um, than I think the crypto world does. I don't think they understand quite the investing yet and it's still a bit risky on that, but bringing crypto to the masses, they're, they're doing a fairly good job, at least with Bitcoin right now. So, you know, um, those are the guys I'm kind of watching right now. Really solid, really solid. And then um, kind of the last question is just like one other person uh, that you want to give a shout out to that has really made an impact on on how you do business or that you think is just really inspiring? Um, I guess there would be two. The first one would be my wife, right? She hates hey. finance. She hates crypto. Um, so it's very interesting to have conversations with her because she points out all of the stupid assumptions I make. Um, about how to, to make it useful to everyday people. Um, and then I also mentioned kind of in the early days, I worked at IBM back a long time ago when they actually thought about breaking IBM up, right? Um, and that was back in the early 1990s. And there was a guy, uh, Lou Gerstner, that came in and basically said, it doesn't make any sense to break it up. We just need to rethink how we solve customer problems. We're not selling hardware, we're building solutions. Right, so that, that ability to rethink. And one of the things he said was, you have to eat home cooking, right? If you can't use your own product, you can't sell it to other people. And that's one of the things, like we're having a strategy session right now, is one of the questions I asked my staff is, okay, how do we make sure that we're always eating home cooking? What are the things that you want that we need to build to make it exciting to you, right? And the guys here are all very deep into crypto and they, they have like four or five different exchanges and stuff that they're using. So they know what's happening out there. Um, so it's a very good kind of touch point to say, okay, this is what we need to do to stay relevant to our customers. I love that. That's so wise. Um, I really love the approach of you know, building solutions, <laughs> make building what you want and uh, building what your community wants because they'll tell you. I mean, they'll tell you all the time and feedback. And if you just simply build what the people want, they'll come and use it. So, Joel, thank you so yeah. much for spending the last half hour with us. Very, very enlightening. We definitely look forward to having you back again. Um, sure, look where can the people follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, so on Twitter, I'm Bitflyer Joel um, on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot, but uh, I, I get out there every once in a while. Um, on LinkedIn, just Joel Ledgerton. Awesome. Joel, it's been great, man. We'll talk to you okay. soon. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.